We're going to be in Second uh, Kings 17. If you want to grab a Bible and turn there, we're going to read it together. Slowly walk through it. Specifically, we'll be in verses 7 through 17. So Second Kings 17, and then John 3. So if you want to grab those, um, if uh, you know if you're if you're new here, you've been visiting a few times. Uh, we've been going through the whole Bible this year. We've been reading through it. Um, there's daily readings and stuff, and then we kind of catch up on that on Sundays where kind of the spirit leads to speak. And um, I knew we were going to get to this place about six or eight weeks ago. And I told uh, uh, some of the other guys on Shepherding Council, like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm really feeling talking about this. And it's been rough. It's been rough to kind of wrestle with. Uh, turn to Second Kings 17, and I'm going to start with a story. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seats in front of you. It's hardback black. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can have that, right? Uh, I'm going to tell a story, then we'll uh, read just a little bit from Second Kings 25. Don't worry, it'll be all right. Um, I don't know what you were doing in uh, 2007 or 8, um, uh, but I, uh, I, I, met, I met a friend at that time that's uh, important to the story. It's about him. Uh, we'll call him Mark, um, but I had, I had known his dad, uh, real well. His dad was a mentor of mine, a guy who discipled me in college. I was really close to this guy, and I learned so much. And I could, you know, if we had more time, I could tell so many stories of how formative this relationship was uh, with, with Mark's dad and continues to be very formative to me, actually. I learned so much. I was angry and hurt by church stuff. I had grown up in church life. I was going to school to get a youth ministry degree, and I was just sick of all of it. And, and through God's grace, he put this man in my life to kind of disciple me and uh, dull some edges that needed to be dulled in my life because I was going to hurt some people with my anger towards the church. And so it was good. But I knew he had had sons, and we had talked about them a lot. And then it was about 2000, two, uh, 2007, 2008, I bought a uh, Chevy 3500 conversion van and moved into it. Huh? Van dwellers? No. Anyway, uh, I was so cool. Uh, I toured and did magic professionally for a little while, and that's uh, another story for a time. But that's why I had the vehicle, so I could live in it and live out my gypsy dreams. And so at that time, I walked into the union, and there was Mark playing guitar. I was like, hey, I know your dad. He was like, hey, my dad knows you. We know each other really well. We've just never met, right? I don't know if you have one of those experiences. You know someone through someone. So Mark and I became fast friends. He was several years younger than me. He was finishing up some, uh, some high school work, but he was on campus a lot. We'd play guitar together. And as he got into college, we just shared so much life together. I mean, we went to mission trips together. I mean, I could just tell you so many stories of watching Jesus move in this guy's life. It was incredible, so powerful. And, and I watched him wrestle with real stuff with the Lord. I mean, it wasn't just happy, clappy faith for Mark. It was like problem of evil. He was getting a degree in philosophy. He was wrestling through like, like hard questions. Like, like, how does this work with philosophy and faith and what the Bible says in this ancient text? And man, we just wrestled through all of it. It was beautiful. He'd come to my house, and we'd do, uh, back in the day, we were doing P90X, um, and he'd make fun of us because he wasn't a fitness person. P90X people, anyone out there ever, did you buy the CDs and never touch it like I did? Uh, anyway, so we, we did that, and uh, eventually he, uh, he played at my wedding. Uh, he, he led a song at our wedding, and then he got a girlfriend, and we started kind of walking through that with him in his life and spoke into that. He got married. I went, uh, we had moved here right? We've lived in Jeff City about nine or ten years now, which blows my mind, uh, but um, I went back to, to Bolivar to play in his wedding, and then as things go, he moved to Chicago, 
And we started getting a little distant. He actually went to Chicago to go study under guys like Scott McKnight and to read N.T. Wright and to go to seminary and really just get deep in his faith, deep in his theology and doctrine. And so we touched base. You know, it's hard to talk to people who are distant. And he started to notice in Mark's life some callousness, some something was off. Like I said, I mean, I watched Jesus change this guy's life over and over and over. And eventually, as the distance went, and, you know, we could talk longer about the story, but eventually I heard from, from his dad that, that he, uh, he, left, he left the faith. He said, I'm done with this. And uh, he started slowly over time getting into lies, patterns, and worldviews that collided with his own control, I believe, and, and eventually said, I, I just can't do this anymore. And one of the truest things he said is, uh, he said, um, once I realized that there was no reason to follow the Lord anymore, there was no reason to be married. So he got a divorce. And um, yeah, it's hard. These things are hard. And it's like, listen, I don't talk to Mark very much anymore. He's in Chicago. And, and here's the thing. Maybe you know someone like Mark. Maybe it's a spouse or a child or, or uh, someone you love, a coworker, someone you really care about. And you're just watching. You know they've met Jesus. You know that he's changed life. But now it's like, what is happening? Like, slowly, one step at a time, one moment, one decision, adding up, fundamentally a different person. Mark's story's not over. For all I know, this morning, he's sitting in a service, and the Lord is softening his heart with the gospel once again. I don't know, and I pray, Lord, I pray that that's happening for my friend. And so whatever story you're in, maybe you're that person right now, and you're just barely here. You're watching home, you're just like, I'm whatever, I'm on the brink of being done with all this. God is pursuing you. And we see in scripture that he is a lover and he is a pursuer. And you have this life and he's chasing you and he wants the right relationship with you. And we're going to see that. In light of my friend's story, I want to read 2 Kings 25 verses 8 and 9. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the king, uh, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, he came to Jerusalem. Hear these words. And he burned the house of the Lord. If you've been reading with us this year, how painful are those words? Even if you, you, you haven't, you just understand what the temple is. Oh, hold up, wait. This dude, he burns the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the house of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. It goes on to say that he just sacks it all. Babylon comes in and all the stuff that Solomon made that's gold and beautiful, all this precious stuff that's so immaculate and wonderful. There were chapters after chapters. I mean, we read some of this stuff and we we're like, so much detail and power and beauty and intricacy sacked destroyed, worthless. It's on some donkeys heading back to Babylon. No one cares. It's broken and plundered. And the temple is on fire and smoke is piling out of it, not because the presence of God is there, but because Babylon has destroyed it. <laughs> Welcome to church, <laughs> right? Come on. Such a depressing place to start. What is happening here? If, you know, if CNN was covering the story or whatever news source you trust, don't email me. I'm sorry you hate CNN. Whatever news source you trust, I don't care. The headline would read something like this. Big bad Babylon comes and sacks and plunders tiny Israel. Subheadline: where is God? Right? That's the feeling. Where's God? Hold on. These are God's people. This is God's house. The house of the Lord had said that, right? Where is God? 
In all stories, in all situations, you have this outside perspective. Second Kings 25 gives us the outside, right? If you've got a medical issue, you go to the doctor, you see the outside symptoms, and the doctor says, we want to do an MRI. Why? So we've got, we've got to know what's going on the inside. Let me really see what's going on in there, because maybe the symptoms don't always equate. We've got to figure out what's going on the inside, right? Church, walk with me this morning. What is your inside story? We're about to read Israel's inside story, and I think it's really revealing and concerning. That's what 2 Kings 17 tells us. And as I wrestle with this, I want to encourage you this morning as we pray. I want you to reflect on what's really going on. Not the outside story, not the stuff you want everyone to see, not the stuff you busy yourself with so you don't have to take time to actually deal with what's on the inside. No, what's your inside story? Will you be honest with yourself this morning? Will you say, now this isn't just another church service. I come and go do the church thing. I get busy and so I got to go. No, no, no. Will you take a minute to slow down, open your hands, and be honest with yourself? What's going on on the inside? That's what 2 Kings 17 talks to us about. Let's pray. God, I lift up, lift up to you, uh, my friend that we're talking about this morning, and, and all the people that, that come to mind when we think about stories like this. God, we also open ourselves up to you, and we ask, God, that you would, in the power of your spirit, that you would reveal. You tell us that your spirit will bring to knowledge everything Christ taught, that will teach us all things. God, we ask that your spirit would move and that we would hear from you this morning. Give us ears to hear as we read your word. Thank you for your great love for us. Amen. I've got some notes here, and we're just going to hope that my memory serves well, because I feel led just to read this with you. Open up, 2 Kings 17. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to make some asides and some commentaries as we go. As you see, I've penciled some things in here, right? But this is just two pages of pencil notes. That's three pages of lots of notes. So we're just going to go off of here. We'll see the Lord leads. Looking at the inside story. Thank God for 2 Kings 17. And this occurred, meaning uh, the things that happened with Assyria, ultimately the things that happened with Babylon. This is what this is, right? Israel is being taken over, plundered, burned. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. It starts with reminding of the grace. Isn't that beautiful? It starts by saying, hey, it's not just, hey, they, they, they messed up and God's ticked. That's not how it starts. It says, hey, reader, do you remember what God has done? What kind of God is he? A God of salvation and redemption. And they've sinned against him. This isn't God's fault. This is Israel's fault. They walked away, not him. They had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs of the kings of Israel that they had practiced. Kings of Israel, like King Solomon. We talked about how he went aside, how he messed up, right? This is the pattern, right? How we live our life matters because it ripples into other people's lives. Solomon messed up big and they're still eating it. They're still messing up. In fact, Saul messed up big. Back it up. Adam and Eve messed up big, still messing with it. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtowers to fortified cities. Think with me for a minute. When in the Bible have people built for themselves a high place? Come on, say it loud. 
Yeah, you remember that graphic we showed several weeks ago about links in Scripture? There is nothing like the Bible. Even secular uh, sociologists, historians, they say there's no historical document like the Bible. It links to itself 63,000 plus times, right? And the author wants you to remember that. Hey, when else is there a high place that was built by humans? What was the problem there? Tower of Babel. What was the problem? They were trying to make a name for themselves. They were doing it for them. They were trying to get to God themselves. They were in charge of the relationship. This is what happens. They built for themselves high places all over towns, from towers to watch fortified cities. And they set up for themselves pillars of Asherim, and on every high hill, and under every green tree. Church, where do we have trees on high hills? Calvary. Okay. Eden. Eden. Trees. High hills. Scripture's definitely linked. Every time Scripture mentions a theme all through Scripture. Trees and hills, that's Eden. And this is what the author wants you to think. He wants you to think, wait a minute, this is supposed to be Eden, where God made good things, where it's all connected. But no, they're building to Asherim. Who is Asherim? Well, we've got a picture here of uh, Asherah and Baal. We'll talk about this here in a little bit. So Asherah was the goddess of, uh, people will say sex, it's fertility. So it's helpful to understand this because in their culture, fertility was prosperous, Fertility was connected to power and money, right? And so you would set up this pole, and when you would go to worship to Asherah, there would be temple prostitutes, and you would be doing this. You would be having sex so that your loins would be blessed by Asherah, so that your, your pole would be blessed by Asherah, so that you could go and have more kids, so that you could have more fertility, so that you could have more power, right? So there's Asherah. You can kind of see these are some artifacts that have been dug up by uh, the people who dig up stuff. I can't think of the word right now. Archaeologists. I was thinking paleontologists, but that's like dinosaurs, isn't it? It's different. So uh, there's Asherah. But all here, can you tell what, what this guy's holding? It's tough. In one hand, he's got like a beaten stick. In the other hand, he's got like a spear lightning bolt um, crop thing. And the answer is like, yes, this is the idea. But all was the God of power, right? You worshiped him because he had power. You want power? Well, you got to have kids. you got to have fertility. Your crops need fertility, so go, go have sex and, and temple prostitutes and get that. It's interesting that what corrupted Israel was money, sex, and power. Nothing changes. Hear me. Nothing changes. What in your life has not been corrupted by that? Come on. Welcome to the West. Nothing is new under the sun. Every green tree... Asherim, Baal's being mentioned later. They made offerings on all the high places. High places are supposed to be where you connect to Yahweh. That's where Jerusalem, the temple is built. Now, they're doing it to these other gods. And they served idols of which the Lord said to them, you shall not do this. Tell me, when is there a tree and, and high places and, and an opportunity for the God to say, for the Lord to say, you, you shall not do this. You can do this, but don't do this. Genesis, come on. Like again, the author's pulling us in. He's saying, hey, do you remember our story? It's all connected. It doesn't stop. What happened in Genesis? Let me walk you through this. Genesis three, we insert the big lie that trumps all, that comes to all of us. This hits us all the time. The serpent said, did God really say you'll die? Hold on. Think this through. What did God really say? That's, oh, oh, yeah. that's, how, that's how evil talks, I imagine. And he says, if you eat the fruit, listen, I know I say this every Sunday, but it matters because I forget it and you're going to forget it. If you eat the fruit, if you go against God, you could be like God. Your eyes will be open. You'll be the smart one. You can decide good from evil. You will be like God. Money, sex, power. You will be like God. 
None of us are above that. One step at a time, one moment at a time. Evil's lie is you can be like God. You can have this power. This happens in Genesis 3. Over and over and over we see this ripple. Then we have God's response. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I've commanded your fathers and that I sent you by my servants and prophets. Listen, God doesn't say, I'm done with you. God pursues them. He sends prophets. And he didn't even mention seers in here. Separate things. It's not a caveat. There are things, we got all these prophets in the Bible. The implication here is there are all sorts of things God did that we don't even have canonized. God is doing all this stuff to chase them. And they're like, nah, I want my own power, sex, and money. I want to be God. I want to be God. I want to be God. And God pursues them. Why? Because God's a pursuer. He loves you. He wants the right relationship with you. Are you honest with yourself? Or the things in your life, these secret places. This starts out, it says right at the beginning, and the people of Israel did secretly against God. It wasn't out in the open. It was secret. Everyone knew about it. No one would talk about it. It was just the thing everyone did. We don't need to deal with this. We just go. We, we have sex with Asherah. We, we do this stuff with Baal. We don't talk about it. And the Lord graciously says, He keeps sending to remind him. If you're here this morning, if you're watching, God is chasing you. Praise God. Thank God that he's brought you here for this moment. What do you need to hear? Man, I thank God I've been wrestling with this all week. I just sit and let, Lord, what do I say? What do I do with this? So heavy, so convicting, because it cuts to the core of who I am. I want to be like God. I want to have my eyes open. I'm David Newton. I want to do it all. I want to be it all. I want to be the best. Build my own high places. Build my own towers. Secret things step in, and God keeps reminding them his grace but they would not listen. They were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that, made, uh, that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them concerning uh, the Lord that had commanded them and they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. Sound familiar? Come on. Made for themselves golden calf and they made an Asherah and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and they served Baal and they burned they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens. Let's go back verse 15 they went after false idols and became false. Who's got another translation? What's another word there? They went after what? Worthless. Thank you, ma'am. This word, what word for worthless? Anyone? Any Hebrew annoying people knows these things like me? Just, oh, I know the Hebrew word. It's hevel. Raise your hand if you remember the word hevel. That's what Solomon said. Everything is meaningless. Solomon knew it all. And he was saying, if you read uh, um, uh, Ecclesiastes, thank you, he said, everything is meaningless. Vanity of vanities, hevel. It's all just like a mist and vapor. It's nothingness. Um, oh, close your eyes. Imagine nothingness. Imagine worthless nothingness. You can't because you import something to think about that. You think of blackness. You think of darkness. You think of sadness. You have feelings that come up. But you can't imagine worthlessness because you still import something God's given you, which is an understanding of color, right? This is so sad. They worshiped the word here. They worshiped worthless idols. And they 
became worthless. There's a message here about becoming worthless, that you become what you worship. They worshiped worthless idols, and they became worthless. In Genesis 127, we have this beautiful verse. God creates everything, and it's good. And he creates mankind, man and women, and he said it's very good. In Genesis 127, we get a commentary on exactly what God created. It said, and God created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So walk with me. This is simple logic. God created us in what? His image. Say, I'm created in God's image. I'm God. Yeah, that's simple, right? Because that's what it says. The answer is right there. Now, follow me with this. If you had just read Genesis 1 and 2, what is the image of God? What has he done up to this point? He creates. What kind of things does he create? Junk stuff that you're just like, ah, it's kind of cute. What does he create? Good stuff. We've been following all year the word tov. It's all through the Old Testament. It means good, objectively good, the center of goodness. You think you've got goodness in your life? You don't know goodness apart from God because he is good. You might be able to do something that seems good, but he is the objective source, the floor, the base level model understanding of goodness. And so you think you've got something good in your life, your job, your family, your life. But if you don't know the Lord, what could you be missing? You were created in the image of God, and that image is to create good things. It's no wonder, hear me, it's no wonder that you feel unsatisfied and and disheartened and you don't have peace in your life. If you're not living to create good things under the image of a good God, how could you have peace? You're just building high places for yourself. It's exactly what Israel did. They're building high place for themselves. We want money, sex, power. We want to be like God. We're going to insert these secret things. Don't tell anybody. But we're going to do them for ourselves. It all comes back to us. And it breaks their image. Fundamentally not who they are. Because they were created in the image of a good God who creates good things. That is your image. Hear me. The lie of evil is that you can define good and evil. That you can decide what's right or wrong. That you're in control. And it kills us. How did it work out for Israel? It's all on fire. It's burning. Not like it's on fire, man. Yeah, no, it's burned to the ground. Crispy junk, worthless. Man, I don't want to hit that too hard, but come on. Like, do we, do we allow ourselves to be honest and look and say, what things in my life are trajecting towards worthlessness? How would I know? You would only know if you're holding them accountable to the image of a good God who created everything. They were told... We were created to create good things. And what's one of the first commandments God gave us in the garden? He puts us in the garden to work and he says, be fruitful and... That's right. That's the Israel mandate. This is what it means to be human. Create good things, be fruitful and multiply, right? And there's several ways to do that. You can make that just about kids and that's fine. But God has all sorts of ways that we be fruitful and multiply. Praise God, right? And so there's all sorts of things that we do to be fruitful and multiply. And where does Israel end up? they end up burning their sons and daughters. It doesn't start there. Hear me. It starts with the secret things. It starts with the secret things that no one wants to talk about. It starts with the pursuits of power and sex and money. I'm going to be in control. I'm going to be like God. That's where it starts. And it ends with burning children. And we would say, well, I'd never. Neither would they. I'd never, I'd never do cocaine. 
I'd never get into a drug addiction. You are one car wreck and a few prescriptions away from becoming an addict. Welcome to the world. You're no better than anyone else. Sorry to burst your bubble. And this is the somber warning of 2 Kings. They worshipped sex, money, power. They started sacrificing kids. Here's the thing, too, you got to hear. You remember reading from the prophets? They were at church every Sunday, metaphorically speaking. I mean, you know, their, their services looked a little different. But they were following the law. They were doing the sacrifices. They were doing the atonement things. They were following the, the Sabbath and the festival of booths and all the seven feasts. They were doing it all. They were mixing it with the secret things. They were in here just like you, singing songs, listening to sermons, giving their tithes and offerings, having their pad ministries that they serve in, and they were falling apart on the inside. The Bible uses the word wicked, and eventually it all burns. Are we willing to be honest with ourselves? Don't miss, please don't miss this somber warning in Scripture. It's talking to you and me. I mean, just look around. What in the world do you know of? Your world. Just pick a thing. Your job, your friends, your family. What gets corrupted by money, sex, and power? Be honest with you. What in your life is not motivated in some, some way to money, sex, and power? God, reveal to us these things. Father, may your spirit speak. May your Holy Spirit move. Would you be honest with yourself this morning? Genesis 127 says you were created in the image of God. That image is to create good things. Everything in your life should point back to him. Just be a big finger pointing back to him saying, look at this God who's objectively good. Everything I'm doing comes back to him because if it doesn't come back to him, it's worthless because he's the source of life. He's everything. This isn't some Western compartmental idea. Like we get this idea of like, I've got my church life and I've got my family life and I've got my hobbies and I've got my job. <clears throat> God is above all that. He is Lord. He's the source of good. Your job can't be good apart from the Lord. Otherwise, how do you know it's not just another high place that you're building for yourself? How would you know? Romans 1.25 says it like this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served what was created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. 2 Kings 17 says it like this. They went after worthless things, worthless idols. And they became worthless. And here's the kicker. Oftentimes that word for idol or image in the Bible is connected to the word selim. It's the same word that's used in Hebrew for God created us in his image. We're trying to create all these idols, these things for money, sex, and power to point back to us. God already created an idol. He already created an image. He created you. And it's supposed to point back to him. And so, of course, it's killing us to play God because we're not God. We're meant to point back to him. In John 8, we read it at the end of service last week, Jesus talks about the devil. And I've been so moved by this in the last few weeks, I, I got to talk about it again. Um, you can read it, write it down in your notes. John 8, Jesus talks about the devil. What does he specifically say? He says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and the father of all lies. That's the devil. He's the father of all lies. The great scholars, they talk about the world, the flesh, the devil. We don't have time to unpack that now. We're going to cover a series on that next year. But this idea that the devil is a murderer from the beginning, he's lying. Israel slowly falls into this idea of having lies. Things creep in. Oh, you, Yahweh's good, but did he really say he would provide fertility for you? Oh, the Canaanites have that. 
Did God really say he'd provide what your family needs? Maybe you need to do this. Did God really say that he'd take care of your family? Maybe you need to do this to secure yourself. And so all of a sudden these lies start creeping in. Listen, the devil is better at lying than you are at knowing his lies. He's been doing a lot longer than you. What's, what's your shot? Like, how would you know? Just like Israel, we accept and pursue worthless things one moment at a time. And the worst part about it is these lies live in the secret places. The things you don't think are that important. The things I don't think are that important. And they slowly creep up. Have, have you slowly started to accept lies around you? There's some lies that, that I think are important that I'm going to point out here, but there are several. We could talk about these all day long, but... We have this lie of power and security, that we need to be powerful, that we need to secure ourselves. And that lie creeps into our finances, into our job, into our family life. We need to be important. We need to be respected. We deserve these things. That's actually the pattern of the West. Power and control is how Western civilization got formed. Here we are. And, and it's not all bad. You know, it's great things God's done through that as well. But it's a cry of our heart to be secure and to be powerful. But it's a lie because it's God. Who controls those things? What about these lies of attractiveness and sex appeal? Oh, I said it. Come on. Like, you, you've been on social media much? Like, like come on. Are, are all of us above that? Do we not want to be the sexiest person in the room, the strongest person in the room? Have everyone be like, oh, dang. He must live big, dog. Like, I want people to think that, that I can still deadlift 400 plus pounds. I can't. A few days ago, I, I couldn't. It was hard. It's too heavy for me, right? But see, I want people to think I'm on the stuff. Young ladies, come on. That lie's hitting you hard. We can laugh about it. You don't have to admit it here, but you know. You know what's on you. This lie that says you've got to be pretty or you've got to be sexy. You've got to bring it in. It's the father of lies. He's a murderer. That's what he wants to do to you. What about the uh, lie of the pursuit of happiness? Oh, just do you, man. You've got to be happy. What makes you happy? What makes you feel good? How would you know what makes you good? This live individualism for parenting, for marriage, for dating, for finances. How would you know what's right for your kids? How would you know what's right for your spouse? How would you know what's right for your addiction? How would you know what's right for your patriotism? How would you know what's right for your voting? How would you know? You say, it's up to, uh, well, I just, I do a little research. I think about it. <laughs> Come on. The devil is better at lying than you are at knowing. <laughs> In fact, our pattern is forgetting. And in fact, unless we're all so much better than Israel, our pattern is to create high places for ourselves. Get lost and distracted. How are you doing? This is heavy stuff, man. Just like, man, what's he going to step on next, right? I'm sorry. It's like, I tell you, sometimes I feel like we're just throwing the grenade and just watch the shrapnel hit. This is on me too, guys. I'm no different. Where's the hope? At the end of 2 Kings 25, we don't have time to talk about it. You can go read it later. But we have Jehoiakim, right? Jehoiakim was captive. And then all of a sudden, you have this weird thing. At the end of 2 Kings 25, it says, oh, the, the new king of Babylon lets him free. He takes off his prisoner clothes and gives him a high seat at the table above other people. And he takes care of him. And you're like, hold on. That doesn't sound like Babylon who just burned everything. And you think, wait. This sounds like something God does. Maybe God really is in control of things. Maybe it's not the king who's physically on the throne, but the king who's always on the throne, higher than we can see. Maybe he really does have all authority in heaven. Earth. That's what the author wants you to think in 2 Kings 25. And guess what? Jehoiakim is in the lineage of Jesus. Through his line, we still get mentioned that he comes Jesus because Jesus is everything. Here's what John says about this. We've been talking about these secret things. I want to read from John 3. 
You know this verse. It's a famous one, starting in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through the world, uh, that, that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Jesus has come in the world. He's the standard. He's the light. He's everything. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is everything. Say, Jesus is everything. We say it every week. Here's the thing. Some of us don't want that light. I, uh, I've been around addiction a lot in my life, uh, myself and, and other people. And, uh, um, gosh, it's always hard to say. Wow. Um, and you watch when, this is where we have like, uh, um, interventions, right? Because we don't want to step into the light. You might know you're an addict. You might know you've got these problems. Maybe you're not even an addict. You, you might know the spirit convicts you or just the, the burning of your life. And you're like, man, I know these things are, but it's so hard to step in light. Why? Because you'll be exposed, what it says. So we love the darkness. We love the secret things. Let's hide it. Let's stuff it. Let's pile some things on top of it so no one knows what's actually going on. The internal story, the MRI, no one's going to see it because I'm going to keep it secret. And this has been the problem from the beginning. But this says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world and we love darkness because our works are evil. We don't want it to be revealed. But everyone who does wicked things, they hate the light. They don't want to come into the light. But whoever does what is true comes into the light. And God makes it right. Uh, some translations say, have been wrought with God. They've been, it's been made right. It's a step towards righteousness. God is making it right. Jesus is the truth. We have all these lies. Listen. Israel fell into worthlessness. They crashed and burned nothingness. They fell into it one degree at a time. One moment at a time. One decision at a time. And my friend, wherever he is, he is. He's no different. He fell into it one degree at a time, one lie at a time, one decision at a time, one moment at a time. And it added up very quickly because the devil is so good at lying, because our flesh is so good at wanting high places. One moment, one decision, over and over and over. I'm not above that, and neither are you. If you think you have more time, maybe you're saying like, ah, I got more time. I can deal with this another time. I don't like this. You're making me feel, I don't want to talk about my obsession with my family and how my family gives me my identity or I don't want to talk about how my job makes me or I'm building up all these headlines. You're like, I don't want to deal with King 17 comes in and says, you're kidding yourself. Like you're kidding yourself. You don't have more time. This is destroying you. It's burning up. It's going towards nothingness. The secret things, one degree at a time. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth how would you know? You have to look to Jesus. What parts in your life aren't looking to Jesus? Church, here's what I have been so compelled to put on us this morning because it's so hard for me. How and when does Jesus, who is the truth, how and when does Jesus, who is the truth, get to speak into your life? How does he do that? Does he get to have a say in how our kids approach high school? 
Does, does Jesus get to have a say in how we approach our hobbies? Does Jesus get to have a say in our job? Does Jesus get to say uh, anything about our fourth year of owning a business, our eighth year, our tenth year? Does he get to say anything about eight years into marriage or eight months in marriage? How and when does Jesus get to speak into whatever part of your life? And what parts of our life are we holding back? The scripture tells us that he speaks into those things when we humbly have a prayerful relationship with him. We actually talk to him. We communicate with him. We're intentionally open to him. We look at his scripture, his word. That's what the Bible says. He was communicating to Israel, right? He's like, talk to me, communicate with me. And then he sent them his word. And we have the church. Church, let me be real with you. Are you here because it's just adding your churchy business life and it's adding to you? Or are you looking around and saying, man, we are one body. And this person's sin and struggle over here is intricately, intimately, essentially connected to my life over here. We're not isolated. There's a lie of individualism. It's a lie. What's going on in Conrad's life matters to me. What's going on in Jeannie's life matters to me. I'm not going to name everyone, but it matters to me. It's connected to all of us. When does the church, when does Jesus get to speak into these things? Or do we say, no, I've figured out how high school should work for my kids. I've figured out how retirement works for me. I've figured out how my budget works. Come on. One degree, one decision at a time. Will you be honest with yourself this morning? How would you know if something's off? That question plagues me every day. How would I know? Because I'm so good at lying to myself. I've been an addict. I'm so good. I'm one moment away from relapse every week. And I've got to work and say, gosh, I've got to put Christ in front of me because I know, I know I can crash and burn. And I can't be the worst one in this room, guys. I love you. You're no different. Jesus is delight. He's the way, the truth, and life. Without God giving him, we don't have a shot. If you know about Jesus' life, he came and he took on all of our sin, all of our evil, and he died on the cross. But then he resurrected. He came back to life to defeat Satan, sin, and death. So that if we believe in him, this is why John says, those who believe in them, who believe in Jesus have eternal life. He's our hope. He fundamentally changes our heart. Would you be honest with yourself today, this week, all the time? Would you be honest and take time as we move into a time of response to open your hands and consider, man, how do these things hit me? What is the Spirit speaking to me now? Why did God bring me here? Whether you're here for the first time, the hundredth time, the thousandth time, some of you were born and bred here, like, why did God bring you here this morning? Jesus knows you. He sees you. And He loves you. He's pursuing you. He's made everything set up to have a right relationship with you. He died, he resurrected. I want to ask you this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, like, what are you waiting for? If you've never joined the church, you're not a part of a a God-fearing, Jesus-worshiping church that says, hey, we believe all authority has been given to Christ and he's with us always, so we're going to go and make disciples seeking him. We're all seeking to be disciples of Christ. If you're not a part of a church, you haven't committed in membership to that, why? What's holding you back? Who gets to speak into your life to talk about Jesus? If you need someone to pray with, man, we're here. We're one body. He brought you here for a reason. You can message us right now if you're watching online. You can come forward. I'm going to be standing up here. If you feel so led, you want to pray with someone, you can sit on the front row. You can find someone to pray with. God brought you here for a reason. If you don't even know the next step you need to take, you're unsure. You're like, man, this is just hitting me. And I know that in 20 minutes or so, we're, just, we're going to sing a song. We're going to do stuff. And we're going to be gone. And I'm going to forget about it. Man, if the Spirit's moving... Take a step. Do something. I'm going to be right here. I'll pray with you. You can just come up here and pray. Whatever you need to do. How and when does Jesus get to speak into your life? Is it you who controls that? 
Is that just another idol you've created that you let him in whenever? Or does he have all authority? Is he the way, the truth, and the life? Let's pray. God, I'm not, I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I wish that I always had the perfect words to say and, and all the right things to do, but we come as one body before you, submitted to you, King Jesus, and, and, and praying, seeking that your spirit would reveal truth, that they would speak, that your spirit would speak beyond the words that, that I've said, that they'd speak through your scripture, and that you would convict us to look to you. What areas, what secret places in our life, God, what is there? Your word says to search me, O God, know me, reveal any any unright way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, we pray with the psalmist that you would search us and know us, and we believe you do. I pray for those here who don't know you, those who need to join a church, those, those who are unsure of where you're leading. God, we open our hands to you. May you reveal the hidden secret things that we try to hide. May we be open before you. Thank you for your love for us. May we see your kingdom come and your will be done. So we respond to you now. Amen.